Well, good morning, everybody. Today, we're actually taking a break from the series we've been doing in the book of Ezra. This is going to be a standalone message. Uh, I have the opportunity to bring kind of whatever God's laid on my heart for today, which is exciting. And, and for that reason, I'm going to be speaking from John chapter 2. This is a passage that I love. It's probably a familiar passage to many of you, even if maybe you're not someone who often reads the Bible. You've probably heard of this story before. And there's an awful lot for us to be encouraged by in it. All I'm going to do is read the passage out and then go through it and make some observations and some applications to us today. So if you've got your Bible, please turn to John chapter 2. It'd be great if you could have your Bible open as we go through the passage together. And I'm reading from the CSB version. Uh, So John chapter 2, verses 1 through to uh, 12. Let's read this together. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you. His mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for the Jewish Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water... After it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people have drunk, the inferior, but you've kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples and stayed there only a few days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we get to learn from this true event, um, this wedding that happened a few thousand years ago, this remarkable wedding, where we get an insight into who you are, Father God, and what you're like, and your love for a party, for a wedding. We thank you for the way Jesus comes and produces the most remarkable miracle, brings life and joy to what otherwise may have been just such a tough moment. And Lord, I just pray for each of us today where we are, would we similarly have a sense of your power working a miracle among us, that we would know, as it were, something of the fine wine that comes from heaven today, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you help us where we are? We want to encounter you. We want to glorify you today. Help me, I pray. Amen. Okay, so it's a wonderful uh, narrative. It's a wonderful story. 
and there's lots for us to learn. Really, this is, in many ways, it's like a distillation of the whole book of John, what we have in this one miracle. For John wants us in this gospel to, to know who Jesus is, that he's the Christ, that he's the Son of God. And this is the occasion of his first miracle, what John calls his first sign. And we're going to be concluding by thinking about what this sign points us to. But it's amazing, isn't it, that Jesus chooses this occasion to perform his first miracle. Now we begin reading the passage and the first words are these. On the third day. Now, a Christian at this point has a little alarm bell ringing in the back of their brain somewhere. The third day. The third day is significant. Significant because it's, it's, it's synonymous with the resurrection. Jesus was resurrected on the third day. So there's a sense right at the beginning of this text of something amazing that's about to happen. Something of a resurrection power even that we're going to encounter. It's like John's hinting here. Hinting at something that's coming that's going to be amazing. Now, the third day after what, you may ask? Well, if we just go back to the end of chapter 1, in verse 51, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Three days later, we have the wedding at Cana. So he's made a promise to his disciples. He says, you will see heaven opened. And it's almost as if what's taking place here is like the disciples got a glimpse of something of heaven, something of the power and the glory of God. It says right at the end of the text here that the disciples uh, saw his glory. His glory was revealed to them. This miracle was a revelation of the glory of God, something of his power and his, his abundance something of his ability to do what no one else can on the third day is when this wedding takes place in Canaan. We're told that Jesus's mother was there, that's Mary, and in verse 2, Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now automatically, that makes this a pretty extraordinary wedding because Jesus is a guest. Jesus is a guest at this wedding. Wow. Now, maybe they hadn't quite appreciated the significance of Jesus as the guest at their wedding. But nevertheless, they wanted him there and his disciples. Now, I don't know if, if maybe you're not a Christian, what your understanding of Christianity is. Do you think of Christianity as being a route to having a brilliant party? Do you think of Jesus as someone who's going to be the life and soul of a, of a party or of a wedding? Can you imagine inviting Jesus to come? What's your expectation? Jesus is coming to our wedding, we better behave. Jesus is here, Jesus is just sat over on that table, watch how much you're eating and drinking. Watch your language, be careful, be on your best behaviour. You get the sense that they wanted Jesus at this wedding. And actually, if you look closely at Jesus, if you and I just encourage you to do that. If you're not a Christian, read these Gospels. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's like. Look at how he's described. 
Jesus is invited to this wedding. They want him there. And they're going to be so thrilled come the end of the wedding that they did indeed invite him. So there's just a question right at the beginning for you. Have you invited Jesus to come to be in your, your home, to be in your life? Do you want him in your decision making? Do you want him, as it were, at your wedding, at your party? Have you made that decision? Have you invited him? Jesus was invited to this wedding. You see, when Jesus is a guest, there's the potential for something amazing to happen. When Jesus, as it were, is in the room, there's the potential for something of the supernatural power of God to break out. So if you've invited Jesus into your household, that's true for your household. If you've invited Jesus into your life, it's true for your life. If we've invited Jesus to be in, in, in our building here in Winchester, if he's present, then remarkable things can happen. And I'd encourage you, invite him in. He says, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let him in? You see, many of us took that decision. So I'm going to invite Jesus into my life. I want him to come and be in my heart. I want his presence in my home. I want his presence in my marriage. I, I want him to not only, as it were, be a guest in my house. I want him to be master. I want him to feel free to go wherever he chooses. I want him to have full access. I'd encourage you, invite Jesus in. And then crisis happens. The crisis happens. The wine has run out. And Jesus' mother has got hold of this piece of information. It may have been they went to her to get to Jesus. It may have been that the disciples were aware of this. We don't know exactly how it all happened. But, but Mary gets word that the wine has run out. Now, where do you go in a crisis? This is a crisis moment. Where do you go? Where do you turn when the wine's run out? You see, in the context of the day, this is a great uh, crisis moment. It's like shame on you. You're, you're, you're meant to be providing for the guests. If the wine has run out, then the and what kind of a wedding is this? This is a big deal. So much so that Mary knows she needs to take this to Jesus. And Mary goes to Jesus. It's a good decision she makes. Where do you turn when the wine has run out? This year's been a bit like that, hasn't it? You, you may identify with that, that sense of emp an emptiness. This year's been, on many occasions, it's been difficult. It's been tough. You feel, Lord, what's happening? God, what's, what is this all about? Why is it so tough? Why is it like this? It's, I feel like a sense of hopelessness even, a sense of flatness. I've had moments like that. In fact, most people that I've spoken to would say, I've, I've had moments like that. Maybe you're in one at the moment. A sense of the wine has run out. So where do you turn where do you turn? These guys are not like, quick, run to the offie. Let's get a whole load of special brew in quickly. They don't quickly rush for a compromised solution. 
we, we can so easily compromise in those moments. We go to something that's 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 just not ultimately going to be our, for our good. Where do you turn when the when the wine runs? When you're feeling flat, it's in those moments that the evil one would want to tempt us away from God. We want to draw us into his, if you like, prescribed tonic. And so often that's that's how sin gets us. It says, take this, watch that. And the allurement of sin is powerful and it and it draws us in and the moment passes and we kick ourselves and we think, why didn't I just go to Jesus? And Mary turns to Jesus here. She goes to Jesus. Where do you turn when the when the wine runs out? Go to Jesus. Go to him. You might say, well, Jesus is here at the wedding. If Jesus was, was bodily present, if he was right here, I'd go to him. Sure I would. But Jesus said to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, he says, it's better for you that I go, that the helper might come, that the Holy Spirit might come. For you as a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. You are a dwelling place for God Almighty. You're able to go to him in any moment. You don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through some spiritual guru. You are able by the spirit of God to call out in any moment, Abba, Father. You're able to speak to God as your father and say, I need help to go to him. Jesus gives us that access. Jesus, so the Spirit in us brings us to the Father through the Son. That's, that's what we're taught. So Jesus makes a way to the Father. The Spirit living in us draws us to him so that in the moment of crisis, no, in every moment, we can enjoy that privilege and that right. It's your privilege. It's your gift. It's the gift of God to you. You've received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables you to come boldly to the throne of grace, the word of God says, to be in the presence of God. Where do you go when the wine runs out? Go to Jesus. So she comes to Jesus and she just says, they don't have any wine. Now it's quite abrupt. That's quite abrupt. She doesn't kind of put a question to him. She just, as it were, I can just see her kind of elbowing. They don't have any wine. It's like the equivalent of if my wife comes to me and she looks at me and she goes, the bins haven't been taken out. Like, I know what she's trying to say to me. <laughs> I know what she's saying. Okay, sorry. The, yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. Now, now so, so this is what Mary does. She goes to Jesus. She goes to him. Why? Because... She knows who he is. She knows better than anyone else. She knows. I mean, she looks at Jesus and she's looking at a miracle. She knows she's looking at a miracle just by beholding Jesus. Why? Because she gave birth to him as a virgin. Right? Astonishing. The virgin birth. She was told, you're blessed. You are going to give birth to the Messiah. You're going to give birth to the Son of God. You're going to give birth to the Christ. He's the one that's been promised. He's the one that's coming in to save the world. And she hears this and she goes to her cousin Elizabeth and Elizabeth's like, blessed are you among women. She knows, she knows that she's carrying within her womb the Messiah. And so Mary gives birth to him. 
as a virgin and then sees him grow up, sees him grow up as the sinless one. Like, I can't even imagine having a child who never does anything wrong. Jesus didn't. He was obedient to have the perfectly obedient child. It's every parent's dream is what we give ourselves to working on. We, 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 we love our children to obedience. Jesus was perfectly. So she knew who he really was, who he really is. She knows Jesus is the person to turn to. So she turns to him. She's like, the, 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 the wine's run out. Now, I don't know what she's necessarily expecting he's going to do in this situation. But you can pretty much guarantee that over the years, in the moment of crisis, she would have gone to Jesus. Many think that at this point, Joseph, her husband, was has died. We don't hear anything really about him after Jesus is left behind in the temple when he's age 12. So at some point between age 12 and 30, which is where he is roughly here, we believe Joseph has died. So Jesus becomes, he's the eldest of the family, he becomes the provider for Mary. So she's used to going to him and she's used to him not freaking out, not getting anxious and worried in a crisis. She's used to calm, measured, good advice good practical decision making that's what Jesus would have always offered her I I question whether she's seen him work a miracle before because this has been described as his first sign but she knew going to Jesus things would be taken care of going to Jesus is a good step now Jesus's response to her is fascinating he says this um what does that have to do with you and me woman Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Now, obviously that, so if she's abrupt, he's even more abrupt. Do you see that? He's like, woman? Gosh, my word, if I spoke to my mum like that. <sighs> he spoke to his mum like that. Now, what does that mean? Is he being abrasive? Is this harsh? Well, in my Bible, you may have this in yours. I've got a little Y superscript above the word woman if i go down to my footnotes it's always good to do this just to trace what's happening here it tells me to go to john 19 verse 26 so that's what i'm going to do john 19 verse 26 this is jesus on the cross when jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there he said to his mother woman here is your son then he said to the disciple here is your mother and from that hour the disciple took her into his home look those were the last words that she heard him speak and he addresses her in the same way, woman. Now, it seems abrupt and abrasive to us, but uh, clearly it, it wasn't intended in that way by Jesus such that he uses the same term as he's on the cross. Some scholars would say, actually, dear woman is, is possibly closer to the original language that's being used here. Nevertheless, we shouldn't form the wrong conclusion. But what's interesting as well is that he says this, my hour has not yet come. Begs the question, what hour? What hour? But he's making a very clear point to her. Why have you come to me to deal with this issue? You should know my hour. You should know why I'm here. My hour has not yet come. And we find him using uh, that term in John 13, verse 1, John 17, verse 1. That's his prayer just before he goes to the cross. He says, now, Father, my hour has come. And he goes to, to be crucified. The hour 
the the hour that Jesus is referring to here is his cross, his crucifixion, his his death, his reason for coming, his 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 whole if you like mission is to go to the cross. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. John would have us know as he's writing down these events of Jesus's life that Jesus was very clear that he had a a reason for being on earth and the reason that he was on earth was to go ultimately to the cross to live the perfect life along the way but nevertheless let's be clear the cross is his crucial mission on the earth and for you and I the moment that we need to most obsess as it were over in the life of Jesus is the cross it's why God comes in flesh into this world that he created to go to the cross to deal with some far greater crisis even than the wine running out at a wedding. You think you need Jesus to break into your life? You think you need an answer to a moment of crisis? You bring it to him. You know he loves you and he wants to listen to it. But know this, there's a greater crisis that he has dealt with. And that is the crisis of your sin. That's the crisis of your rejection of God. That's the crisis of your forthcoming judgment. That's the, that's the crisis of hell. He's dealt with that at the cross. You've got to go to the cross and realize that there is his central hour in the Gospels, in my life, in all history, for that is where Jesus reverses sin and death and deals with it all perfectly, ultimately, finally defeats Satan, sin, death, and on the third day rose again. Hallelujah. That's what he came to do. That's his mission. And he would remind his mother again, that's why he's here. But nevertheless, this is what happens next. She says, do whatever he tells you to the servants. Do whatever he... So despite what he said, she still knows he's got this. Right? She's not discouraged. She's not discouraged from what Jesus has said. She doesn't just go off and sulk. She, she hears what he says, but she knows that he's going to respond nevertheless. He, she knows that he's got it. And, and, and what she says to the servants, I think is the best piece of advice in the Bible outside of Jesus' direct words. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Now, let me ask you, would you agree that that's good advice? Will you do whatever he tells you? Are you willing to obey his words? Are you willing to do what he tells you to do? The Christian says, yes, I want to. I want to. The Christian has, you know, you have stirring up within you. Yes, I know his words are good. And I love him. I want to do his will. That's a good start. It really is. So you want to do whatever he says. And and, and do you know what? In decision making, in moments of trial, in moments of crisis, there's no better piece of advice that I could give you, that anyone could give you, than going to Jesus and doing what he tells you reading your Bible, being kind of so absorbed and caught up in what's, what's here because his words, his word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. His words are like honey on our lips. Yeah, his words taste good. His words 
bring light. His words bring life. His words have eternal life, Peter said. Go to his words. Read his words. Be guided by his words. Do what he tells you to do. And as you and I are obedient to his words, just watch what might happen. (laughs) Watch what might happen. You might see a miracle. You see, this is what happens next. Now, there are six water jars there for the rites of the Jewish purification. That is to to wash yourself. So the water for washing, he says, fill them with water. He says, fill the jars with water. So they filled them. Then he says, draw some out and take it to the head waiter. It's very, very simple. He says, fill, draw, take, right? And the servants do it. They fill these jars right up to the brim. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. And at some point in the process of filling the jars with water, of drawing out and going and taking it to the, the, the kind of the head waiter, a miracle takes place. He tastes it. It's like, oh my word, this wine is insanely good. And he goes, what? why has this been saved until the end? You're meant to bring the best wine out first and then the kind of you know the plonk but you've got you've got the best stuff this vintage is unbelievably good his wine tastes better his wine tastes better this is wine as it were from heaven right this is this is the i mean oh you want to be a guest at this wedding right you want to taste that wine he gives he doesn't he doesn't just solve the problem he doesn't just fix the crisis he goes beyond to a realm you've never been before. And, and, and in our lives and in your life, he doesn't just want to fix the broken bone. He wants to make you a new creation. He doesn't want to just make you a better version of yourself. He wants to, to birth a new person within you. That's what the Bible says. When you come to Jesus in faith, you become a new person. You're born again, a new creation made alive to see God, to see this world through the lenses of faith. You taste a new wine. It's a new wine. You may never have known that before. And I urge you again, go to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to taste your wine. I want to have a filling. I want to be filled up. Fill me up. I feel like a, a, an empty vat. Fill me up with your wine. And, and, and I just love this. It's just draw it and then take, and, and I just see in this a response that we need. It's all very well us being filled, but take and go and bless others. Draw from what God's doing in you and go and bless other people. Go and love others. Let others taste, as it were, what you've tasted, what God's done in your life. Go and bear witness. Go and be a witness to the goodness of God. This is what they do. They take it, they go. Everyone's like, oh my word, this, this wine's amazing. The wedding kicks off again. Everyone's happy, everyone's celebrating, and the disciples are like in awe of him. They're awestruck. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. They'd already believed in him, but the interesting thing is, this is actually written in the present tense, there's a sense of believing in him again. I, I, I can resonate with that. I believe in Jesus. I've believed in Jesus for all my life, pretty much. But I have moments when I see something 
new and it's like I believe again. It's like I have renewed belief, renewed faith, renewed confidence. I'm, I'm, I'm certain of, of who he is and his goodness and his greatness. I'm certain he's, he's the only way to living a fulfilled and happy and abundant life. I'm, I believe in him again. It's like the disciples have seen this. They're looking at him and they're like, I believe in you. I believe in you. I, I love you. I, I want to be with you. I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to be with you. And I want to make sure that when it's my wedding day, you're a guest. You're coming, Jesus. <laughs> you're going to be there. Can you, can you sort the wine out, please? For my, you know, That's what I'd be saying if I was there. But we get to live life with him by his spirit. We genuinely know him now and his presence with us through the receiving of the Holy Spirit. What a privilege. What an incredible privilege that is look for all of us here we've had we've had a year where it, where the, the wine's run out but i'm believing that what god's going to do in this next season for us as a church and for the church in this nation is that there is a a new wine as it were from heaven a new outpouring by the spirit of god that we're going to taste of things that we've never tasted before that we're going to see something of the goodness and the kindness and the glory of god like we've never seen before i'm believing i'm believing god for that i'm certain that the greater glory is ahead for us not behind us because I've read the Bible, I know how this ends. He gathers people from every nation, tribe and tongue before his throne, one new man in Christ. We, we get to enjoy him forever together. And it's, it's a work he's doing. He's sovereign through the trauma of this last year. He's going to be glorified. Let, let us be those who invite him in, who go to him in the crisis, who do whatever he tells us. And let's be filled let's take let's go let's bless others let's just finish by praying father we thank you for this story and for jesus your son we thank you that he is the uh, the one that produces miraculous wine and uh, and so lord for each of us today wherever we're at whatever's going on let us all know a fresh taste of the goodness and the the, the mighty miraculous work of jesus christ that we would like the disciples behold your glory, be in awe of you, and state emphatically, we believe in you, we love you, we want to do whatever you tell us, we want to glorify you in our lives and in our church. Amen.